Good morning. I hope God spoke to you a little bit while ago when we were doing communion, just a, just a moment. We're going to end today with a baptism. A friend of mine is going to be getting, getting baptized. His name is Robert. He'll happen to end of the service, so I want you to stick around for that. But we're going to start today our teaching from the book of Acts. Last week, um, I said that we were going to uh, begin this teaching through Acts, and I don't know how long we're going to be in it, but we're going to start it. And so the reason I'm saying that and I'm doing that, we're going to break it down into segments and talk about specific things in that book. But I want to encourage you, uh, people who go to church here, to begin to get in the Word, open up your Bible throughout the week, and read the book of Acts. You're like, man, I don't know how to read the Bible. I, ha- I don't really understand it. Just start reading it. The, the, the thing that can't happen is for professing and kept confessing church people to come here to New City and expect me to read the Bible for you and then regurgitate it back up. Like, you guys can eat. You, I, I see you. You know, how to, right? you know how to do this. And I would encourage you just to go in, the, in your Bible and turn to the book of Acts and just start reading. And, uh, man, to see what God says to you uh, as you do. And so we're going to begin that journey today. Last week, I talked about why we were. Like, why are we going to study this book of Acts? And I talked about the fact that some of us, we just simply need to know our church history. We need to know where we came from. Like, we need to know, like, how did this whole thing begin? What is our Jewish roots? Like, some of you have no idea that we have Jewish roots, that we've been grafted into this tree. We need to understand those things. And some of you are like, what? Exactly. We need to learn what that means. Our, our church history has, has been uh, kind of watered down and forgotten on certain levels. We talked about last week about what a family looks like, a biblical family, and what it means for you to be a part of the church family here. And I would encourage you to go back if you weren't here and listen to that message because it's important. Today, we're going to talk about the end times, right? I'm going to start off with teaching you a word uh, that make you think that you're really smart or make other people think you're really smart. Actually, you're already really smart. Smarter, right? I don't want to offend anybody. Smarter. Uh, the word is eschatology. Say that with me. Eschatology. It simply means the study of end things, right? Or study of last things. And so if you ever hear that word, now you're like, Matt, why are we starting talking about the end of time at the beginning of Acts chapter 1? Like, I don't get it. Like, Why? Well, here would be my couple of reasons for you. Number one is this. This is a key question. Like what happens at the end of time was a key question, a key topic for the early church fathers. And when I say early church fathers, I'm talking about uh, like Peter, James, and John, the guys who were walking with Jesus, who started the movement of the, of the, of the, the Gentile church, the, the Jewish Christians who started. That's what we're going to look at. But their key question was, man, when are these things going to take place? That's one reason. The second reason is that um, it's important for you to understand what you believe. How many of you guys would find you, you, it's kind of interesting to you to talk about the end times or to hear about the end times? How many of you guys think that's kind of interesting? Show hands, raise them real high, all right? Now, but we're going to take them, no, keep them up. I'm gonna, we're going to do something because I want you to be honest here. That's interesting to you, but how many of you have also actually studied it and kind of figured out actually what the Bible says and what we believe? Some of us have, some of us haven't. It's an interesting topic, but it can be a very confusing topic to study. Today, I am not going to answer all your questions. I can't, right? Because there's so many opinions, so many thoughts on the topic. Think of today as a survey. I'm going to talk about certain major themes for the end times. I'm going to look at um, uh, certain key scriptures. And specifically, we're going to look at exactly what Jesus said concerning the end today, not what other scholars believe or what other church fathers. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to talk about today, what did Jesus actually say concerning the the end times. And so we're going to jump right in here uh, with Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So at this point, Jesus has not yet ascended. This is after um, 
his crucifixion. It's after his resurrection. And the Bible says that Jesus hung out with his uh, followers, 500 people, for 40 days post-resurrection. And it was during this time, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, that we find this conversation. It says this, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Two things real quick that I want you to pick up on this, on this uh, short conversation. One is it says they kept asking. This was a curious topic for the early church. They kept asking. They wanted to know when was Israel going to be restored back to power, back to having everything kind of working for them and not have outsiders telling them what to do and giving them permission on what they should or shouldn't do. When, all right? And I want you to notice the second thing is this. They asked, they asked that question in this way. Lord, has the time come? And Jesus' response is, the, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They ask a singular, what is the, the Lord has the time come, singular, and Jesus says those dates, plural, and times, plural, are not for you to know. The disciples, the earliest church guys, thought that it was going to be this one boom event that was everything going to be solved and put back into its proper place. What I think Jesus is saying here is there are things that are going to take place that lead to the restoration of things. Does that make sense? No matter what translation you look at, the disciples ask a singular question, and Jesus answers with a plural. And so let's look at what Jesus actually said concerning the end times while he was uh, before, before the cross, before he was crucified. Um, we're going to study out of Luke chapter 21 this morning. It's, most of it's on your insert. All of it's going to be on the screen. All of it's on the app. If you have that and all of it's in your Bible, by the way. So um, that's a little bit of a joke because it's, of course it's in your word. So this is a conversation that took place. It's found in two other places. It's found in Luke 21, where we're going to study today. It's also found in Mark chapter 13 and in Matthew chapter 24. Okay? Matthew 24 and Luke 21 are the two primary places where people use to research this scripture. Okay? Um, the reason I'm going with Luke instead of Matthew is Luke is just a little bit easier to understand for the amount of time that we have, okay? Now, really quick, to kind of remind us of this, um, there is one gospel, four gospel perspectives. So if someone ever says, how many gospels are you? Are there? And you say there's four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tricked you. There's one gospel, the good news of Jesus, and there's four different expressions or recollections or accounts of that gospel. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record this conversation that takes place, and we're going to study Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 5. Here is what happens. It says, Some of his disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple. Now, this is the temple. This is a model of what the temple might have looked like. And so they're walking around the temple, right? And the temple is the structure in the middle of the, of the wall there. And they're walking in that presence of that, and they're admiring its beauty. They're fascinated by how it was built, right? And so they're ah, walking around, and Jesus says to them, but Jesus said, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. What? Can you imagine something that big and that majestic being completely destroyed? The word demolished. Not one stone, Jesus says, will be left on top of another. Teacher, they said, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? And this is where the conversation begins. They're admiring the temple Jesus says, yeah, guys, get a good look. Better take a picture because it's going to be completely wiped out. When, 
right? Now, they think they're asking one question. They think that, again, the destruction of the temple and the, the, the end of everything is going to happen at the same time, but Jesus actually takes the time and he answers two questions. And the two questions he answers is this, and, and this is in Luke 21, again, Matthew 24, Luke, uh, Mark 13. The two questions Jesus will answer is, when will the temple be destroyed, which, by the way, has already happened. So we can go back historically and look at that and see if what Jesus said was actually truth. And the second question Jesus answers is, what will be the sign of your return? The disciples thought they were asking one question, but Jesus hears two. And he answers, when's the destruction of the temple? And then when is the sign of your return? Two different events, two separate times. Luke 21, verse 8. Let's continue back in the scripture. Jesus first starts with a high-level, 30,000-foot response to his whole discourse that he's about to have with them. He says this, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and saying the time has come, but don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Right? Some translations will say, this is just birth pains. I see a lot of little babies in the room, right? There's a lot of little babies next door. The first time the baby kicked, you don't run to the the, the hospital ready to give birth. If you do, they're going to look at you and say, go home, you're fine, right? It's the beginning of birth pains, Jesus says. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues, plagues I'm sorry, in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from the heaven. So some of those things are taking place. Some of those things have not yet taken place. Verse 12, Jesus swoops down into ground zero and he answers the first question that he heard. When is the temple going to be destroyed? And notice what he says. But before all this occurs, before you see the wars, before you see the famines and all this stuff, before you see crazy things in the sky, this is going to happen first. There will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons, and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And he catches his breath, and then he gives them some clear instruction. Now, this next part is a really, really key piece of history that most of us aren't aware of, but I want you to catch this. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city. For those will be the days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of the Scriptures will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. Now, One thing that I want you to understand first, fill in your blank, is this. This is the historical account of the destruction of Jerusalem. It happened in in, uh, 70 A.D. So Rome conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., if you want to write that date down. Now, is Jesus' words accurate? Actually, his words are extremely accurate. And this right here, based on what Jesus said, is the reason, is a key reason, why Gentile Christians have very little, and Gentile Christians simply means you're not Jewish, 
why most of us in this room have very little to no understanding of the customs and thinkings and practices of our first Jewish Christian fathers of the, of the early church. Every one of the disciples was a Jew, every one of them. And they all would have practiced certain things, but there was an event that happened in 70 AD that drew a huge wedge between the practices of the Jewish people and the, the, those who believed that were Jewish, that Jesus was the Messiah. And it happened in 70 AD. And here's what happened. In 70 AD, the Roman uh, Empire had the city of Jerusalem surrounded. And it had been surrounded for quite some time, for several years. And they, they were starving the people out. Now, they didn't just have the temple surrounded. They had the entire city surrounded, the city of Jerusalem. And they were starving these folks out. Now, how do your kids get when they get really hungry? Do they get really calm and really obedient, or are they kind of crazy? Okay, we won't pick on our kids. How do you get when you're really hungry? Right? Do you get a little feisty when your tummy begins to growl? Well, they were really hungry, and there was a lot of bickering within the city on who should be in charge and the leadership. Like, nobody was for Hillary. Nobody was for Trump. It was doomsday, Right? And nobody could figure out what, what needed to happen. And there would be like little revolts against Rome. And there would be some little victories, but it wouldn't be enough to satisfy. Like there was not enough to win the war. And so Rome kept its grip over the city of Jerusalem. And people are miserable and they're hungry and they're frustrated. And then something happens. Caesar sends word to Titus, who's leading the army that has Jerusalem surrounded, and says, I need you back here because stuff's going down that I need the troops. And so Titus says, all right good soldier, and he leaves, and he takes off back to Rome, and he's, as he's going back to Rome with all of these four legions of troops, he gets word back from Caesar that says, hey, we got it figured out, don't need you, go back and assume the task of Jerusalem. <laughs> all right, so they go back. It took one week. They, they were gone seven days from the time they left to the time they came back. In those seven days, the Jewish Christians who knew the words of Jesus that we just read, listened to them and applied them. The Jewish Christians in that week did this. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills, those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city, for those will be the days of God's vengeance. They heard that, they knew it, it was a teaching that they had of Jesus that was passed around to all of the local little Jewish Christian clubs. And when they saw the break in the ranks and they saw Rome taken off, they got the heck out of town. And when they took off, guess what all their Jewish family and friends thought? Traitors. Why are you fleeing? We are fighting. We've had these little successful revolts. We're going to take this army. God is with us. But they knew Jesus' words. And these Jewish Christians following Jesus, they took off. And when they did, it made their brothers and sisters, their Jewish people, angry. And from that time on, there was a complete divide that Christians were not allowed in the synagogue. Even though they were Jewish, they were no longer allowed in the parts of worship, family reunions. Like there was a huge divide. But something else also happened. The Christians that took off and fled to the hills, the remaining Jews that stayed, 1.2 million were killed or taken into captivity. Severe hatred and mistrust and distrust towards those who listened to this so-called Messiah, Jesus, and got out of town. And other people died or taken off into some type of captivity. That's one of the reasons, not the only, but that's one of the reasons that you and I don't have a good understanding of our Jewish roots is because in some ways there was a complete divorce between the two. Does that make sense? Kind of learn something a little bit? Now here's something else that happened. When Rome takes the city... Titus, the commander, stands in front of the temple. This is how the story goes. And he doesn't want the temple to be destroyed because it's so beautiful and magnificent. 
And so he's standing on the temple steps saying, guys, quit, right? But the soldiers, the way they get paid, a lot of them, is by plundering what they overcame. And so whatever they took out of that deal was going to be their possession. And so as Titus is trying to calm everybody down, he watches a flaming torch go over his head and into the temple. Fire takes off. And the fire builds, and the fire and stuff starts burning all in the temple, and the temple has a lot of gold in it. And that gold begins to melt, and the gold begins to run, this is how the story goes, into all the cracks and crevices of all the stonework around the entire temple. And the soldiers, the story goes, turn over every single block to scrape the gold off of every single stone to make sure they get their pay. And so when it's all said and done, there's not a stone left on the next. And Jesus' words were fulfilled. Now, another important date. Now, that happened in A.D. 70. Now, if you were to read this account in Matthew 24, one of the last lines you will see is Jesus makes this observation or this statement. He says, this will happen until the time or the days of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Luke doesn't record this. But Matthew says this statement that Jesus said, until the day or the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. What's that mean? Well, it meant there was going to be a season where the Gentiles would have control over Rome, but that season would come to end. That's actually happened in some of our lifetimes, right? In May 14th of 1948, like we could read about this, this is history. In May 14th of 1948, Israel, for the first time since 70 AD, was recognized as a nation. And they're still recognized as a nation. But that happened on May 14th, 1948, a very, very important, important uh, date for us to know. That's when God, in my opinion, it's when God fulfilled Jesus' statements that the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and the Jewish people have their land back and we got the Israeli flag flowing and there's the prime minister and there's all of this stuff. Now, those temple sacrifices aren't going back yet, but they are a nation and a people that are smack dab. Now, here is just one, one thing that I would encourage anybody in the room that's almost atheist or a complete atheist that says there is no God. Just go to this, there's this website called, uh, I did this last night, it's so interesting, and not even for this reason, but it's so applicable. There's this, uh, there's this website, I think it's called The True Size, and you, you, it's, it's a website where uh, me and Brandon were actually talking about it, it got me looking at it, where you can type in any country, and then it will show you the approximate size of it. Like when you look at a map, the United States looks kind of close to the size of Africa, but when you go to this website and you click on the U.S. and you drag it over, you can, you can, you can fit four Americas into the, the, the continent of Africa. It's, it's crazy. And when you do the same thing with Israel, you're going to have a hard time seeing it. It's so small. Like Israel is so little bitty. And here's what I was saying to those of you who are doubters of the faith, doubters of a God who chose a people. Israel is completely surrounded with people who hate them. Not that they don't like them, they did not unfriending them. I'm talking about want to annihilate them, wipe them off the planet, yet they are still here. It makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense. It's just a small little nation, a small people group has not been completely wiped out if not for God saying, you are mine and I will protect you forever and for always. And we, the church, get grafted in, Romans chapter 10, into God's beautiful story of a chosen people. Now that's free. That's not even in your notes, right? Talk more about that next week. Let's continue on. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. And there will, okay, so now Jesus jumps from ground zero to what's going to happen soon. And he's going to talk about future, future stuff, stuff that we are now waiting for. So this is where some of your ears are going to perk up because this is stuff that we are looking for, right? We can go back to 70 AD and we can go back to 1948 and see these things. But what about the future? What about when Jesus returns? He says this in verse 25. 
And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Been a lot of talk over the last year and a half about the blood moons, the complete solar eclipse. Like there's funky stuff happening in our sky. And if you connect it with the Bible, people think you're weird, right? Jesus says this, there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. So either Jesus is a liar or we should listen to his words as signs for what could be coming, all right? And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed. Now, they're going to be perplexed by something, and it's not going to be ISIS. And it's not going to be because black lives matter. And it's not going to be because these other things that sometimes we, get our, we, we, we don't understand, and it creates a lot of angst in our lives. And those things uh, are, are real social issues, but that's not what Jesus points to here. He says this, and here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. What affects the seas and the tides? What happens in our atmosphere, right? The surrounding, surrounding in our cosmos. People will be terrified. When's the last time you've been terrified? Like when I watched that movie, uh, The Sixth Sense, I was like terrified, right? But when's the last time you've like, been terrified? This week I was being a good dad and I was playing hide and seek with my kids, although they didn't know it. They were just looking for me and I was hiding. And, uh, Finally, finally, they said, where's daddy? And I was in the bathtub up behind a shower curtain, right? And finally, Allie, my, one of my twins, said, I think he's in the bathtub because they're all over the house. And when they would go in another place, I'd go, ah, you know, and they'd go, hear him. And they'd try, anyway, so I'm in the bathtub, and uh, this is what I do on Saturdays. And so um, I'm in the bathtub hiding, and uh, uh, Allie goes, I hear her say, I think he's in the bathtub. And right when she walks around the door, and right when she sees me, I go, ah, and man, she's seven. She goes, she shook. She was completely terrified. I'm like, Allie, that is so funny. Then I hugged her. But it was awesome, right? Listen, Jesus says that you and I are going to be terrified by what we see in the sky. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken again. This is not somebody's interpret. This is Jesus's words. These are what Jesus said. Hey, guys, I think he knows what he's talking about. Uh, okay, so let me just read it. And the heavens will be shaken, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, all right, when you start seeing all this crazy stuff in the cosmos, right, don't cower in a corner, Christian. Don't shake with fear being terrified. Look what he says. Stand up and look, for your salvation is near. Stand up and look. Get ready. Now, for those of you who despise God and have lives that are hidden in the dark and you do things against God's will, you better fall on your knees and cry out for mercy and grace and salvation. But for those of us who are pursuing a life in Jesus Christ, we don't have to tremor in fear. We get to look up because our salvation is near. Not salvation for the eternal, uh, our eternity because that's already happened on the cross. It's salvation for the literal doom that's at your doorstep. Now, I don't know if you'll be alive when that happens. There's lots of views. I want to share these with you. There's actually three kind of primary views. The first one is pre-tribulation. Pre-tribulation, and there's this, there's this common idea uh, found in Scripture, both in Daniel and Revelation, that at some point the world is going to enter into seven years of tribulation. Three and a half are going to be peaceful. The remaining three and a half, all hell is going to break loose. Okay? But during those years, there's persecution. The last half is when God's wrath uh, is, is poured out onto, onto the earth. Now, um, one view, pre-tribulation, would say that prior to this tribulation, that the people of God, not Israel, but the church, the Gentiles, are going to be removed for any type of persecution, any time of trouble. This is a book series called Left Behind. You know, um, what's that guy's name from? Um, good looking dude. Yeah, Kurt Cameron. I was thinking, what's that movie? Uh, 
What was that movie from? He, the sitcom, see where I'm going now? I'm told, Growing Pains. Growing Pains, right? What's that song? Anyway, okay, it'll come to me later. What a great show, right? Seavers, right? Ben and Mike and Carol. Well, those were the days when sitcoms were da da da. Saw my dad. Okay. Pre tribulation would that's a book series that would support that belief, right? A pre trib. There's another belief called mid trib. The rapture occurs in the middle of the tribulation. Post trib. The rapture occurs after the seven years of tribulation. This view believes the church will be present during the seven years of tribulation. During these seven years, there will be, there will, they will suffer great persecution from the world in which they live, but they will, not, I mean, they will be spared from God's wrath. Now, I have an opinion on these three. I don't hold the, the opinion of pre-tribulation. I'm not a pre-trib guy. Now, if God wants to pull us out of all chaos and up to heaven, thank you, Jesus, I'll take it, right? But that's not the view I hold. The view I hold is the post-trib uh, point of view. And here's my reason for that. There isn't a time in Scripture that I'll read in the Scriptures where Jesus rescues his people prior to coming doom. Let's talk about Noah, for example. Noah was the guy in the Old Testament that was here during the flood. Was Noah in the flood? But was he in the water or was he in a boat? He was in a boat, and the boat finally landed on dry ground. God allowed him to be a part of the wrath, but he didn't experience the wrath. Think about um, the nation of Israel when they were in Exodus and uh, they were in Egypt, right? So they're, they're, they're slaves in Egypt and all of a sudden Moses comes in and he, and he communicates for God the plagues that are coming. Were the Israelites in the vicinity of the plagues? Did the, yes, the answer is yes, they were there. But did the plagues impact them? Not at all. God protected them. And you can read that in Exodus. That God protected them from the wrath that he was pouring out on the Egyptians, and I believe that God will do the same thing. Does that mean, now this is going to be good for some of us just today. Some of us believe that God will not let you experience the persecution of this world. But the only reason that that would be a belief of yours is because that's what you want to believe, not because that's what the scriptures teach. Because Jesus says, if they hated me, guess what? They're going to hate you. And I believe in the last days, we will be persecuted by the world. And by the way, it's already happening. We're just not in the, like, we could, we could just talk about and begin to study what's going on overseas and how many Christ followers, people who are confessing Jesus, are losing, literally losing their head because of their faith in Jesus. We're afraid somebody's going to make fun of us at work. Or churches are afraid that the government's going to remove our tax-exempt status. That's our persecution when there's literally people dying everywhere else because of their faith. This has already taken place. Sometimes we only view things through an American eye. But we're going to face persecution, in my opinion. But we won't focus on or we won't experience God's wrath. We will be protected from that. That is why some of us, listen, we've got to begin to stand firm. Like you need to begin to see your everyday life as preparation for if you're alive when the tribulation happens. Because you can't be a pansy, sissy believer. If you're someone who cowers anytime somebody makes fun of you because you believe in Jesus or you follow God's ways and you're like, oh, well, I don't really, and you begin to back off, what will you do when you're starving? Or what will you do when you're hungry? Or what will you do when start, bad starts happening to you simply because you go to New City Church? Will our numbers go down because all of a sudden there's persecution? Or will we be strong and will we be secure in who we are in God? Like, now, this is why this stuff matters. If you don't think this is ever going to happen, then there's no pressure on you. But if you believe that this stuff is going to happen, whether it's in your lifetime or not, it really begins to play a part on how you live every single day. Let's continue to read because I think my, that statement may make some sense. Luke 21, verse 29. Notice what Jesus says. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, 
you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all, things, all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, okay? Jesus is like wanting to make sure that we understand he's not just talking. He says, I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Here's the key question. What in the world is he talking about when he says this generation will not pass? Generation can mean two primary thoughts, okay? And you can put this in your outline. This is kind of good stuff to understand and learn in the process. What does generation mean in the Bible? Number one, this word in this context couldn't refer to the nation of Israel. Jesus could be saying the nation of Israel will not be wiped off the map until these things take place. That's one translation of the, the, the word. Another way you could view it is this. Generation could refer to those who are alive. Now, alive to when? Not, and this is my, my understanding, not alive to the ones who asked the question, the disciples, but alive to those who are alive when the age of the Gentiles is complete. Remember that thing that I said Jesus said in Matthew 24 that he didn't say in Luke 21? That the, until the time of the Gentiles is complete. Do you remember that really important date I gave you when that date was complete, when that prophecy was fulfilled? May 14th, 1948. And so some believe that Jesus wasn't talking about the nation of Israel being wiped off the map. Some believe that Jesus was speaking to May 14th, 1948. Those who were alive, that generation will not pass. So you mean if a guy was 99 years old, he's going, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Come on, let's just use some, use some common sense here. There is a range of date there that people who were alive in 1948, there's a great opportunity, right? Based on the word generation, that what does he say here? This generation will not pass from the scene, that they're going to see it. And it's going to happen. When it happens, it's not going to be strung out over decades or years. It's going to happen rather quickly. Now, let's look at what generation means in the Bible. The Bible defines generation in three to sometimes four different um, categories. Forty years is one. Okay, that's a, go back to Abraham in the, in the book of Genesis. You'll see that, that that's where the generation is first mentioned, and it's 40 years. The second would be 100 years, all, sometimes in Scripture identifies a generation. Sometimes 70 years, which is, by the way, the average of 140, okay? And there's actually a fourth that I didn't put on there, 50 years, okay? Now, you guys want to go spooky math? Ooh, right? All right, here we go. If you take 40 and you add it to 40 years, and you add it to 1948. Anybody good at math? What do you get? 1988. Well, we missed it, all right? So it wasn't that one, right? If you take 1948 and you add 100 to it, that's 2048. I think I'll be 64 in 2048 if I'm still kicking, if you guys don't kill me yet, or my kids don't. If you take 1948 and you plus 70 to it, right, 70 years, that's 2018, Woo, spooky, right? Spooky. Now, is, is there a different definition for generation or should we look at those three? Now, regardless of what you believe, if we were to think of a tunnel or a funnel, if you will, no matter what date you want to go with, it's coming down to where we're in the season, we're in the time frame. Jesus says, it's not for you to know those dates and times, but then he says, look at the trees. When you see stuff starting to happen, you better know and be prepared and get ready, right? And so let me ask you a question. What do you do different if you knew that next year was the year when it's all going down? Are you still freaking out about that mortgage? 
Are you still trying to get that 401k built up? What if it's a 19, I mean, 2048? Like, or what if you go, well, Matt, it doesn't really matter. I don't know if it's really going to happen. Every generation has thought that, and that would be an accurate statement. A lot of people have believed it to be their time. But every day, I believe we'll get closer to it. Now, my encouragement to us in this room, we're going to continue this conversation next week, is to open up the Bible and begin to research. If you want to do some fun research, right, about the cosmos, begin to Google and research Planet X. It's founded in 1982. You don't hear much about it. But there's this, it's not actually, it's not a planet. It's actually a, 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 a bunch of like gases, right? And it's, it's massive. It's 10 times the size of Earth. And it's making its way into our, into our galaxy. You want to guess when? I'm not going to tell you. You've got to read about it, right? Could it be the thing, and when you read about what this thing could potentially do, and again, I say it potentially on purpose, all of a sudden, the stuff that Jesus says that we can understand how the earth could be shaken or how these things could be happening, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, stuff goes, huh, that's kind of interesting. Could Jesus actually know what he was speaking about? So how many of you guys have a little bit of interest in what we're talking about still before we started? All right, here's my encouragement. Read, study, learn up, get smart on this. Not Wikipedia, all right? <laughs> That's not real research, right? Begin to read and study what the scriptures say, and then don't just go to one side and say, oh, this guy says it's happening tomorrow. No, 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 that's not research. You've got to look at different things because there's a lot of kooky things, not kooky, kooky, crazy, woo-woo, right? Stuff being said online. So you have to be smart in what you read and not just take one source and run with it because you could say some really silly things. Um, I want to conclude with this. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, and we end every service at New City Church with a time of generosity. That's how we finance and fund the ministry of New City Church by our, our families, tithes, and offerings. And as they prepare, I want to finish out the conversation that Jesus had. Luke 21, verse 34, 36. This is what Jesus says to his church. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Would you guys pray with me? God, may we be a ready people. May we be a people who understands your word and doesn't just laugh it off or nod our heads at it because we don't understand it. But God, may we grow in our understanding of what you said to us concerning the end. And Father, if we are the people who are alive when you return, God, may we stand and shout because our salvation is near. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.